On this edition of Seeing God in the Everyday, we're going to talk about the liberation of the Jews from Auschwitz, standing in a field picking up trash, and I mark myself safe from falling iguanas. That's right, falling iguanas. to the Seeing God in the Everyday with Dan James podcast. I'm Dan James, and I'm so glad that you are here with us today as we look for God in the world around us. Now, today we're going to start a little bit heavy. This past week, uh, if you haven't seen the news, but this past week it was uh, the 75th anniversary of the Red Army entering the Nazi death camp called Auschwitz. Auschwitz was one of many death camps that was throughout Germany that was put put together by the Nazis for basically the extermination of those who were their enemies, those who were not like them. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that, you know, I don't come to this podcast to have heaviness and stuff, but um, I come for encouragement. Well, hopefully, just hang with me as we go. You're going to hopefully be encouraged by today's podcast as we look at something that's very difficult to look at, something that's very hard, but something I believe that we really need to continue to talk about and continue to bring up into the mind's eye of people. Uh, Because there are people out there that are pure deniers of what happened, but there are a lot of people out there that basically minimize how bad it was and that, you know, I just remember hearing something pretty recent on the radio where, and working for a candidate, was talking about how it wasn't very, very bad. How, you know, there were things a lot worse than the Nazi death camps. We've got to continue to remind people that when evil is just left untethered, when evil is just left to go, when the human mind and the human person... (laughs) um, is just left, horrific things happen. And that's kind of what happened. So I want to just kind of list a little bit of what actually happened, what went on in uh, Auschwitz, and what went on with the World War II and the the Nazi Party and Nazi Germany. Just kind of not as a, a thing to to bring up, but it is something that we should continue to talk about. It is something that we should bring up so that we don't forget because it was a horrific thing. Basically, what happened was as Germany was continuing to con to conquer all of Europe, they had political prisoners, lots of political prisoners, people that were against them and other soldiers and stuff. So they needed something to do with them. So what they ended up doing, and it really started with uh, a lot of the Polish prisoners because there were a lot there. There were a lot that um, that survived, and basically what they did is they took the Polish prisoners and they moved them and they opened up Auschwitz. And Auschwitz was this, uh, basically it was barracks. It started off as army barracks, but they switched it and turned it over into a into a prison camp for like I said, war criminals and and others. I don't know if the uh, 
the original idea was that they were going to use it as a death camp if they were originally going to be using it for extermination i think that that actually came uh over time when they started realizing the whole thing with the master race and all this and when it really started to take flight and really started to take hold was when they started dealing with the situation of the the jewish people and all the Jews that they were rounding up all over Europe. It wasn't just Germany, but it was all over Europe. There's a uh, thing that was talked about, about the, the Jewish problem and how to handle the Jewish problem and what were they going to do. So eventually what they started doing is they started using these camps to exterminate the Jews. And not just the Jews, though. It was also other political prisoners. It was people who were homosexual. It was people who were anybody who was not a part of the Reich, anyone who was not a part of what Germany was doing. They were taking them and putting them in these camps. And in these camps, they were they were exterminating them. And it, it was a lot. And we're, you know, talking primarily about what happened in Auschwitz. The numbers are are staggering when you start looking at the numbers of of who died and how many people went through these camps and we're talking about basically like a a five-year period from like um, 1939 late 1939 1940 uh, 1944 1945 so we're talking about a real short period of time that this all took place the things that that they did there were horrific the different types of uh, medical experiments that they were doing, reading up on this and doing the research on this, talking about what they were doing to women as they were uh, testing different sterilization processes and stuff. And they were talking about how one of the companies, the German companies, was uh, developing an anesthesia. And they asked for 150 Uh, Jews to be sent to them so they could learn how to do anesthesia and they immediately within a week came back and said could you send us another 150 because all of those died while they were doing the testing so it's really a horrific thing and like I said when you look at the numbers and you look at the the things that happen there it's it's just horrific and estimations is that there was somewhere around 1.3 million people 1.3 million people went through the camps and 1.1 million were executed and that's that's just a staggering number here here's the thing 1.3 million were sent to auschwitz between 1940 and 1945 at least 1.1 million died during that time that's just it's hard to believe It, it it's hard to get your mind to comprehend that but it was a true thing it was something that actually did happen you know it's it's one of those things that when you look back at it and when you when you read about it and when you watch videos or watch documentaries about it 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 just it you want to it's so horrific that you really want to separate yourself from it and and sometimes you know that's a good thing sometimes you need to separate yourself from it Because it is hard to take. It is hard to understand. But we also need to make sure that we're not forgetting. Or we take a second and we step back and we look at what happened and how it happened. It doesn't mean that it couldn't happen again. 
And if we forget, and if we stop teaching about it, and we stop bringing it up, we can forget. And a whole generation can forget. And before you know it, the same sentiments can come back up, and the same things can come back up again. You know, I, I feel like we're definitely dealing with some some issues in our in our world right now where there's there's a lot of undercurrent of anti-Semitism, anti-Christian. You know, we we know all over the world right now there's tons of Christians that are being martyred daily uh, throughout the world. Same thing with the anti-Semitism and the anti-Jewish sentiment that's around the world. So, you know, it is something that we definitely need to remind ourselves and that we definitely need to make sure that we're not forgetting. This past fall, my wife and my son, we had the privilege to be in the Har- in Harlem, Netherlands. And if you don't know where Harlem, Netherlands, it's just outside of Amsterdam, just a little bit. And while we were there, we got to visit the home of Cory Ten Boom. And if you don't know who Cory Ten Boom is, her, her family... Uh, lived in Harlem, Netherlands, and they were a Christian family. The grandfather of Corey was very strong in his beliefs and very strong that it was important that there was a respect for the Jewish people and that the Jewish people being God's chosen race, even though they hadn't come to Jesus, that it was very important that we basically would do what we could to befriend, encourage, pray for the Jewish people. So that was the type of household that Corey was brought up in, very strong Christian. So when World War II started, and in May of 1940, the Germans invaded the Netherlands. The Netherlands kind of fell pretty quickly, and there wasn't a, there was some fighting, definitely, um, but Overall, the city wasn't, you know, the the cities weren't destroyed, the country wasn't destroyed, you know, it wasn't like what was happening, uh, like in Poland and things like that. So doing what they were doing in all the other, other countries, they were starting to round up people who were dissidents, they started rounding up people um, who were against them, they started rounding up Jewish people. And they started reaching out, as you know, Anne Frank from Anne Frank's Diary, the the young girl, uh, she lived in Amsterdam, which was in the Netherlands as well. The Jewish people were in hiding. The Jewish people were trying to basically stay away from what was happening and what was going on. Corey's family decided that what they were going to do is they were going to become a safe house. And they were going to hide Jews. They were going to... Uh, allow them to stay in the home. They were going to put them uh, and hide them away so that when the Jews came or when the Germans came, when the Nazis came, that they would be able to be safe. And what they did is they actually built a separate false wall in Corey uh, Ten Booms in her bedroom. Uh, they built a false wall and so that the Jews could hide in there and they were able to keep six to ten, I believe, uh, Jews in this little room that they built, this little fake wall and fake room that they built in the house. Well, it was just interesting as we we were in that house and we were sitting there and you know we were in the parlor and they were telling us the story of Corey and her family and her father and grandfather and you could look out out the windows and as we were sitting there listening to the story and. Sh- listening to what it was like to live during that time period, 
you know, you're looking out and I can look out and see the streets. And it was, it was surreal almost to sit there and in my mind's eye to see as I'm looking out in these streets that there would be German and Nazi soldiers walking these streets. And I can just imagine how, you know, the anxiety and the, and the fear must have just been a part of their every day. You know, as we sat there, my wife and I and my son, and we just kind of, you know, talked about, you know, can you just imagine what it was like to sit here and, and look out that window, you know, knowing what you were doing, knowing that you were uh, protecting these people at any minute, it could all change. That any minute did come. And on uh, February 28th, 1944, there was an informant that told the Nazis about what the Ten Booms were doing. The Nazis came in and they searched for the Jews. The Jews were hiding in their special room that was in Corey's bedroom. And they couldn't find them. But they found some food ration tickets. And in the food ration tickets, they realized that somehow they were helping the Jews. What happened was is that the Ten Boom family was arrested. And they were taken to concentration camps. Corey and her sister were taken to, they were taken to uh, different places and different concentration camps. I, I was going to try to read the name of it, but I'm having a hard time reading it. It's, uh, um, but they were taken in the concentration camp, and this is all in Corey's book called The Hiding Place. And there's also a movie out, which was done, um, I think, back in the 70s, which it's, it's not really the greatest quality movie, um, but it's a good movie. Her book is amazing, and the inspiration of how she sat there, and they dealt with the beatings, and they dealt with the malnutrition, and they dealt with everything that was happening in the concentration camps, she still never lost faith. She never lost hope, and her sister, believe it or not, was actually encouraging Corey how much that she needed to pray for those who were over her, and pray for your enemies. At the end of the war, Corey actually survived. She survived the camp that she was in, and she was released. And then she was able to write this book called The Hiding Place. And she was also able to write a few books. She wrote quite a few books. And she also started helping people and started helping those with disabilities. And actually, she she worked with those with the disabilities before she was before she was arrested, but she spent the rest of her life talking to people about the hope of who Christ was and about even in your worst times, even when it seems like it's it's impossible that there's hope. Her story is an amazing story, and I'll encourage you, if you're going through something that's like, it seems overwhelming, it seems like you, you can't continue um, let me encourage you to pick that book up. It's called The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. And uh, it'll definitely encourage you. It'll definitely help you um, because it helps you to see the world a little bit differently than the way you're seeing it with your own eyes. And you see how God is working and, and weaving through things that you don't even know he's there. I know this is kind of a harder type thing. Um, kind of a harder type subject that we're talking about. But I definitely think that even in the hard times, even in the most difficult of moments, God's still there. He's still in the midst of all those things. And 
if we look for him, we'll see him. We'll know that he's there with us. Last week, I was kind of teasing my friends from up north and talking about how incredibly wonderful the weather in Florida has been this winter and how awful the weather has been (laughs) for all my friends and stuff up in Minnesota and Michigan and everything north of Florida. Had this crazy story come out on the news and uh, we had a cold front that came through just about, uh, I guess this was earlier this week, we had a cold front that came through and it got down to freezing. Uh, we actually had a little bit of frost on the on the ground and stuff. And But what happened was it's one of those crazy ones that actually went pretty far south, actually went all the way down to Miami, made it very cold actually in Miami, Miami Beach and stuff where it usually never gets that cold. And uh, they had an issue. There's... There's a lot of iguanas that live in southern Florida. It's perfect temperature for them, and there's no predators, so there's iguanas everywhere. And the thing is, is that if you don't know that when it gets to a certain temperature, iguanas are cold-blooded creatures, and when it gets to a certain temperature, they just kind of stop. They just kind of freeze. Now, they're not dead. They're just frozen, like frozen in time. Well, the thing is... Iguanas like climb in trees and hide in trees and hang out in trees a lot. So when they get cold and they freeze up, they fall out of the trees because they lose their grip because they're frozen and they can no longer hold on to. So there's a <laughs> an issue with literally falling iguanas, raining iguanas, whenever it gets very cold in South Florida. And we had that issue and there were so many news articles Um, this last week where people were taking photos of iguanas laying on their deck or laying in the yard and stuff like that. And um, I just thought that was just a funny story, especially after last week. I was talking about how beautiful and wonderful the temperature uh, was here in Florida. And guess what? I just want to let you know that it's like three or four days later and, you know, tomorrow it's going to be back up in the 70s and it's going to be beautiful again. But <laughs> I just wanted to give you that story and let you know <laughs> about the um, falling iguanas um, in South Florida. So if you come during the winter time, you never know. You might see some raining iguanas. But I also wanted to give you a quick story here. One of the things I do, and I work on a farm. I'm a tree farmer we do ornamental trees and stuff like that and just recently we've cleared off a huge area of land and we had to just basically uh, push all the trees that were dead clean them up do all the the um, take care of all the the hoses and all of the different things that we use to water the trees and we had to take care of that and throw it away and stuff like that so the other day I was basically having to do that. I spent my entire day, just me, a tractor, and a trailer, 
driving through the, or just riding through and getting out and by hand picking up pieces of trash and little pieces of plastic and little pieces of glass and little pieces of this and stuff like that. And I spent eight hours of my day just picking up trash and walking around a field and doing nothing else. And I was feeling pretty down on myself. I was actually kind of beating myself up, you know, going, this is really, this is, you know, this is my life. This is what I'm doing. I'm walking around in a field, picking up trash. For some reason, I really just kind of like started beating myself up. Like, Dan, what are you doing? What, what You should be doing more than this. You should be better than this. You, I mean, my gosh, you went to college. You went to, you know, you went to seminary. You, you've got masters, you know, you've got masters work done and stuff. And it's like, I was kind of just having a little pity party. After that, or later that evening, I went to a meeting and it was the mission organization that I'm with. And there was some guys and girls and we were all just in a room and just talking about the different things that was happening. And one of the guys in the middle of the meeting just goes, I cannot believe this. We are sitting in this room talking about how we're going to be impacting the world with missions and how we're going to go to different places in the next year and how, you know, I'm going to go to Belize and you're going to Ecuador, you're going to... Um, Guatemala, you're going to, you know, back to Kenya and Africa and says, how amazing is this moment? And I stopped and I, you know, I just kind of go, you know what? My life is pretty amazing. But in the moment when I was kind of down and stuff, all I could see was what was happening to me in that moment. I couldn't step back for some reason and see the bigger picture of what God's doing with my life. You know, I kind of, I definitely, you know, repented of that and was like, I I got to make sure that I, you know, as I'm working, I'm worshiping, as I'm working, I'm doing this because I know what the ultimate prize, I know what the ultimate thing of what I'm doing with my life, not just what's happening in this eight hour span. So I wanted to share that with you guys today because, and leave you with that, because I, I think that there's a lot of people, you feel like you're just struggling you feel like you're just you're eight hours of work or you're four hours of this or you're and you feel like this is just a waste of time or this is just a this is just something that that's below you or beneath you. And I encourage you to step back, get out of that moment and and look at the bigger picture of what's happening in your life. And if you look at the bigger picture of what's happening in your life and you're still struggling and you're still, what am I doing? You know, maybe that's the time when you need to start looking at some things like setting some goals for yourself and getting yourself in a position where you're starting to achieve things that are bigger than those moments. And I think that's something that we do miss. I think that's something that can happen to us is that we get so stuck in the moments, we don't see the bigger picture. And then if we don't have a bigger picture, then those moments do seem to be and almost useless. So I would encourage you to, if you if you do that and you take a second, you look back and you're like, wow, um, set yourself some goals. Put some things in place that you're striving to. Make a bigger picture and look what God has for you. I'll be honest with you. If you do that, you're going to see where God's working in your life and you're going to see God in your every day. Well, This comes to the end of our podcast this week, and uh, I thank you so much for hanging out with me and looking forward to what's coming up very soon. We've got some neat things coming up uh, very soon. 
and I'll be introducing those here in the next few weeks. But thank you again for being a part of Seeing God in the Everyday with Dan James. You know what? If you're liking what you're hearing and you want to be a part of what's going on, you know, leave comments in the comments section. Um, also, you can email me at seeinggodintheeveryday at gmail.com. That's seeinggodintheeveryday at gmail.com. And we're going to be, like I said, got some other things that are coming down the pike, some other things with social media and some other things that we're going to be doing. So stay tuned for that. Also, if you would, just go ahead and subscribe and be a part of what's going on. And it helps me. It helps let me know that you're out there. helps me know that you're listening. And again, like I said, I want to kind of build a little community. And who knows where God's going to take this thing. So thank you all so much again for hanging out with me. And remember, continue to keep looking for God everywhere. Continue to keep seeking his face. Continue to keep seeking him and looking for him. And you know what? You'll be seeing God in here every day. All right? Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. God bless.